Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 42. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. Before we get started with the interview, I want to pass along a couple of things. First, my sponsor, Audible.com. If you like me, like to get caught up on all your reading, but you're having trouble finding the time, I highly suggest you try audiobooks. Audible.com has over 100,000 titles. Any book that you can think of, they pretty much have it there. And you can download it to your smartphone, to your iPod, your iPad, your mobile device. Get it caught up while you're driving to work, exercising, any which way that you can. Audible.com is a great solution. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, or click on any of the banner links that you see at my website, and you can download a free audiobook. Any audiobook that they have, download it for free. Sign up for 30 days with no obligation, and check out all the resources. I guarantee you, you can think audible.com is a great resource to catch up on all your reading. Again, thanks for all your support. Make sure you're listening and subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. I'm now available on Stitcher. Leave a comment, leave a review. It helps with the ratings. And thanks for all your support. Here's the interview with Dan Miller. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Well, I'm so thrilled to have on my show today Dan Miller. He's the president of 48 Days LLC. He specializes in creative thinking for increased personal and business success. He believes that meaningful work blends our natural skills and abilities, our unique personality traits, and our dreams and passions. He's active in helping individuals redirect careers, evaluate new income sources, and achieve balanced living. He believes that a clear sense of direction can help us become all that God designed us to be. He's the author of one of my favorite books, 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and Wisdom Meets Passion. Dan, thanks for coming on Dose of Leadership. Are you ready to give us a dose today? Absolutely. you got a hot topic. I'm delighted to be your guest. <laughs> well, I know that your book is kind of a, and I'm a fan of it, I think one thing that I've always struggled with, um, you know, and I'm 45, and I always get criticized or I criticize myself. Maybe it's a limiting belief, and I'd like to hear what you think about that. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I get so impatient sometimes about, well, I want to go try this, and I want to do that. Is that a strength or a weakness, do you think? <laughs> I think it's a strength. <laughs> the, the worst thing that I encounter is people who just don't have any idea about what they would do. They're just blank. I'm thinking, how in the world can you walk down the street to your mailbox and not come up with three or four ideas about things that would get your attention? So I think it's a wonderful starting point to have lots of things that get your attention, lots of things that you would want to do. Now, ultimately, we have to create a clear focus and a plan of action to get anything done, but what a wonderful world we live in where there are opportunities around every corner. Yeah, I guess that, you know, I, I've always, and I've been criticized sometimes, like, well, you need to settle down and, and figure out what you're going to do. And it's not that I, I don't understand what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about flying airplanes. I'm passionate about talking about leadership. And so I'm doing those two things now. But there, for a time, I struggled before actually pulling the trigger. I had a lot of indecision about, you know, stepping out of my um, leadership role and going to the next level and deciding to what some considered a backtrack of going back to a flying position, but I absolutely love it and I'm happier for it. And that's really what your book 48 Days is about, is it not? Absolutely. This is a very individualized and personalized path that we're encouraging people to go down. 
there's been way too much of people living out other others' expectations. Right. I mean, one of the things that we realize when we talk to people who know they're approaching death, what is your biggest regret? The number one thing that comes to the surface is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life authentic to myself rather than living out the expectations of others. So we see that played out in a whole lot of ways. So people think, well, if you have the ability to go to medical school, why wouldn't you do that? Well, if that's not a good fit, if that doesn't create the life that you want, please don't. I've made a very good living as a coach helping people unravel their lives where they had the ability to do something and created a life that they absolutely hated. So a lot of times it may look like somebody else, like you aren't maximizing your success or you aren't going to the level that you could, but you're creating a life that you really want. And that's far more important than just going up one more notch on what other people perceive as a ladder. So why don't we, why why do most of us have so many limiting beliefs? What do you think is driving that? You know, if we could really answer that and get people to buy into it, you know, it it'd simplify a whole lot of things. There are a lot of things that do that. I mean, early experiences certainly lend themselves to that. Academic systems certainly don't contribute to our creativity. They tend to force us into narrow tunnels. Degrees tend to do the same kind of thing. We think, well, now that I have that, we, we like to assume that getting advanced degrees broadens our options, but in many ways it does exactly the reverse. So when I work with a physician or a dentist or an attorney or a pastor, they don't see themselves as having any options at all. They see themselves as being confined to this one narrow kind of application, which is really sad. So we very quickly buy into these limiting beliefs, as you so aptly describe them. We just got to break out and realize those aren't real boundaries. They're just perceptions. The obstacles are primarily between our own two ears. And so we have the luxury of being able to redirect. At 45, if you want to do something different, there's really no reason you can't do that. And the cool thing, Richard, about this is when we make those redirections, it's not like we go back and start over. Right. I mean, if a physician decides that he or she wants to do something different, you don't go back and start over. You take that wonderful experience and certification, all those things that you've got, you take that with you. That becomes part of who you are, no matter how you choose to apply it in the next season of your life. You know, I think that maybe, um, I don't know, I, I in, and this is, I'll be honest with you, this is relatively recent for me. When I say recent, I think the, the last five to six years, I think for the longest time, I was still bought into that. I'd be curious to see if you think it's a myth or not, but the whole idea, go out, you know, get a job, get a degree, go find a place and be there for a long time. My dad, who passed away a couple of years ago, he worked at two places when he graduated. He, got, he uh, went graduate high school, went to the Navy, then went to college and got his first real job out of college in 1960. He worked at that one place for 25 years and then worked in a similar industry from um, 1985 to – so when he retired 2009 so he worked in two places after college i've worked in so many different places and that is definitely the norm is it not i mean i think, I think we know that's an obvious answer but those it days is. those days those, are gone those, right those days are totally gone what you described is extremely rare today now a couple generations back you know that was certainly more common but today in the average 
time on a job is 2.2 years. The latest statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics tell us that between 18 and 42, the average person will have 10.8 jobs. Mm. So you do the math on that, it's about 2.2 years. If we look at those in their 20s, Gen Y, Gen X coming in the workplace, those in their 20s today, the average time on a job is 13 months. Now that may sound like we're just destroying a reasonable and responsible work life, but it doesn't mean that at all. If we were working in a production environment, so if you were laying railroad ties, it would be reasonable to learn to do that well, and then you move up to manager, and pretty soon you're a division director. So we move up or vertically in the same organization. But in today's workplace, where we have knowledge work rather than production work, that's not even reasonable. If somebody needs a new chief operating officer in a company, they're going to just look for the guy who two years ago was a janitor and move him up one more notch. They're going to go outside and find somebody whose skills fit that position. So a reasonable career path today means that you can move every couple years, two, three years. That's a very reasonable career path. It's not irresponsible. And really, the irony is that some companies today, in looking at somebody's resume, if a person has been in a job for 20 years, they may question, has this person really kept up? Is this person really up to speed? Or have they just kind of settled in someplace where they get a paycheck every Friday and the whole world has passed them by? I worked with a CFO, chief financial officer, not too long ago, who had been at the same company for 26 years. But during that time, his pay had gone up just because of the increase in seniority. And all of a sudden, the company says, geez, we're paying this guy too much. We can get somebody for a whole lot less money. He was clueless. I thought with his fancy title that this guy would be really up to speed with what's going on. His description was... For 26, he's chief financial officer. He says, for 26 years, I had pencil up, head down. And that's it, head down. And he missed what has changed in the workplace and was really essentially unmarketable at that point. That's not a responsible career path. So moving, making changes doesn't mean that we're indecisive. We can't hold down a job. It means that we're maybe really sharp that we really are focused on our career path and doing an excellent job. Yeah, you know, for me, I think it's it's. I'm, there's so many things I want to do, and um, and I guess that's where the balance is. You know, at some point, you got to be realistic. Let, let me play devil's advocate a little bit about with what you you charge in 48 days. If there's so many things I want to do and I'm passionate about, I mean, you got to be responsible to decisions as well, too. I mean, you just can't go off and say. You know, what do you say to someone who is, you know, making six-figure income, you know, they've got the kids, they've got the mortgage, they've got the car payments, and now they want, they really find out what their passion is, and that's a big hit in their income and everything else. How, I mean, isn't that why a lot of people don't make the leap as they get older? They feel like they're locked into their position. How do you, how do you, what do you say to someone like that? Well, the first thing we do, and the underlying assumption of what you just said is that moving toward your passion is going to decrease your income. Why do we think that? Yeah. Why do we assume that moving toward your passion? I'm in a town, Nashville, Tennessee, where we have a lot of people in the music industry. Well, there's a whole lot of people that assume, geez, if you're going to be in the music industry, you're going to have to learn to live on beans and rice. 
Well, tell that to Carrie Underwood or Taylor Swift or Alan right. Jackson. Right. Now, and those, those are not just, you know, rare anomalies where you could never do that. No, I know people who are just absolutely having the time of their life and making more money than they ever dreamed of in the music industry. So we have to get out of this mindset that, well, if we move toward, I mean, it's almost a universal kind of fear that if we move toward what we really enjoy, then we're going to have to do with less. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that is a limiting belief that so many of us are trapped into, that if you follow your passions, you're not going to have the money. We get so almost dependent upon the security of a paycheck, the security that benefits everything else. And you know, I'm standing here looking at a uh, an eagle that's carved in a cedar tree. I mean, there's a big cedar tree about 65 feet tall right here, and they approached my office out here in the country. And a couple of years ago, it didn't come back to life. Well, I called a gal who is a wood sculptor and had her come out here, and I said, Terry, I'm just convinced there's an eagle trying to get out of that tree. Well, she looked at it for a while, and finally she said, you know, I think you're right. So I had it topped at about 14 feet, and she came out, set up scaffolding, and you know, spent a couple of days and released this amazingly beautiful eagle in the cedar wood, the rich reds and, and gold, and the, the wood had been released. Now, she was a very successful executive, but sitting in the cubicle at 42 years old and just felt like her soul was being sucked out. And she remembered how she had enjoyed, as a little girl, spending time with her daddy, you know, carving wood. Today, she does that. Now, there's not a guidance counselor in the world that you're going to sit down with, you know, in your sophomore year in college, and they say, well, you ought to grow up to be a tree carver. That's something that is too unique and individualized to ever be recommended by anybody. But if that's a right, authentic fit for her, can she do that? Yes. Now, she's not just, you know, whittling whistles and, you know, little ducks on a park bench on Saturday morning. She is a sculptor, but by positioning herself as such, not only is she doing something she loves, but her income has superseded dramatically what she was making as a corporate executive. We, we have to believe there are those options available when we talk about following our passion. And so we get out of this very quick, yes, but and think that we're being responsible by staying in something where we get a paycheck, but don't have the satisfaction of doing something we enjoy. Yeah, that's a great story. And I think, too, for me, I think what, um, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps and I was kind of forced out and furloughed after I got laid off from American because of the September 11th attacks, and I kind of went into this, okay, what am I going to do now? And a lot of soul searching. And I think that what I always kept going back to, and I said I wanted to do something, and why I liked the Marine Corps so much is because I felt like I was part of something bigger than myself. I felt like there was, you know, you were doing something that made a difference. And I think that's a key to everybody out there that's searching for, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? I think to me, the, the key and the connection is having some sort of um, uh, doing something with significance or something with purpose or value. What do you think about that? Oh, I think that's right, but I, and I think that option is available for anybody. I agree. I mean, we don't we don't we don't have to uh, just be an entrepreneur or do something really unusual. I mean, we have to believe that we are doing something worthwhile, but we don't have to make a choice. Now, a lot of people think, well, should I do something just for a paycheck, you know, or should I just uh, give that up and work for a nonprofit? You know, can it be part of a worthy cause? Well, we can do all those things. 
Well, we can do all of those things no matter what kind of work application we choose. If that's as an employee with part of an organization that we really believe in, fantastic. If it's doing something on your own, fantastic. But, yeah, we want to do more than just get a paycheck. Money is ultimately not enough compensation for investing our time and energy. Ultimately, there has to be a sense of meaning, purpose, and accomplishment in what we do. So I encounter people who are high-income earners who just feel dead at the end of the day because all they've done is generated a paycheck. And certainly there are people who are farther down the socioeconomic scale who love what they do because they've chosen a lifestyle that they think has a lot of meaning. This is not a cookie-cutter plan. I mean, it's, it, that's why we, we all get to choose what that means for us, which is awesome. Tell me what – tell me your – I love what you wrote about in the book, and I would like to hear what your thoughts on. And one of the things I've talked about a lot in this podcast and what I talk about in my coaching and when I talk about leadership and what I think is lacking in so many areas is this whole idea of indecision. I've certainly been guilty of it. I see it at the corporate level. Everywhere I go, it's this, this kind of fear of stepping out and making a decision. Indecision is so crippling on so many levels. Tell me what, tell me what you think about it and, and how to combat it. I really, really dislike indecision. <laughs> I mean, there's an old saying, indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. And I really believe that. And even in the Bible, it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what it means is when we have an area of indecision, I mean, if it's we can't decide what kind of a car to buy, it starts to creep into other areas of our life where we become indecisive as well. So I, I like making decisions. Now, my wife and I have a process that I talk about in 48 Days to the Work You Love where we've always used two weeks as a time frame. Mm. Now, she's not as quick to pull the trigger as I am, but we've agreed on that time frame as an adequate period of time to assess the situation, get the advice and opinion of other people, carefully choose what the best options are, narrow down, do a little bit more research, and then choose an act. Now that covers whether it's where we're going to live, kind of house we're going to buy, kind of car we're going to purchase, where we're going to send the kids to college. In any even major decision, we frame in that two-week period so we don't allow indecision to just fester and start to creep into other areas of our lives. Is it a is it a I guess for me when I've been faced with indecision, it's the fear of making the wrong choice. Is that really at the root of indecisiveness, is fear? Well, it is, but it again, it's a crippling kind of thing to allow, and inasmuch as we think it's a self-protection method, the destructive sides of indecision are, are just can't be overcome. I would rather make a wrong decision but still be moving forward yeah. than to just be caught caught in the squat and not doing anything. Now, certainly we want to be realistic and responsible about making decisions, but ultimately we have to just gather the facts as we have them and make the decision anyway. So if we allow ourselves a given period of time in which to do that, go through that process, then we ought to be able to make a decision, hold our head high, stop second-guessing yourself, just move forward. Yeah, that, that, I, that idea of second-guessing it undermines a lot of things that people start because as soon as there's a little obstacle, then they think, oh, wow, 
maybe I shouldn't have done this, I should have done that. So when I talk to people who are like starting a new business, I tell them, make a decision, and you commit to it for a year without ever looking back. Don't allow yourself the option that, wow, the first little bump, and you're going to just bail. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of the 75% solution, that if you have 75% of the information, use the other 25% of your your gut instincts, your intelligence, the, your your professionalism, your expertise, and make a decision and go. Because it's so much better, like you said, keep the ball moving forward. I would rather get to the goal line in a crooked line than in a straight line too late. You know, you know what I mean? That's right. Now, if we really back into from this discussion the idea that we have to have clear sense of purpose, clear priorities. Yeah, sure. They, if, yeah. If, we, if we don't have that, then anything becomes a possibility. That's right. But if you really have clear priorities, a clear purpose and mission statement, then most decisions ought to be made instantly. Yeah. So 80% of what we're confronted with, we can make decisions instantly. I mean, I'm presented all the time with great new ideas from people. You know, man, Dan, you ought to be involved in this. Well, you know, I can look at those and say, Golly, that's fantastic. You know, I hope you make a million dollars doing that. Now, I'm not going to be connected because I've already committed my time. I've already set my schedule. I know what my priorities are. So I won't be participating. But I hope you do really well. But it's easy for me to make that kind of decision rather than thinking, ah, oh, should I or shouldn't I? In these remaining minutes, I want to talk about one, one thing, I've, I've, especially on the leadership front, I think it's so important. Um, and a lot of the best advice I've got from leadership is says you got to be yourself and you got to know yourself, know yourself and seek self-improvement is always kind of one of my mantras. And you have a really great tool on your website. If I can plug it, if I don't, if you don't mind is, um, and I took the assessment on your website and it's really uh -huh. good. And, and I got the report and, um, it kind of goes into a, it's called the disc personality system. Is that right? Disc. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's right. That's 48 Days Personality Profile, but it uses the DISC terminology. And um, great thorough report, and um, it kind of breaks it down. The DISC, the D stands for the kind of the dominant or the driver, or the I is for influencing, inspiring. S is for steady, stable, and C is for correct, compliant. Is that is that right? Am I getting those right? That's that's correct, yes, absolutely. And, and then you gave, and what's great about the – and uh, if I need – like to get your take on it, but I so I get this these three graphs back. I get uh, a graph that highlights the the dominant side of me, the influencing, the steady, the compl the compliant side of me on a scale in three three um, graphs. The first one is like a public self and how others see me. The other one is my private self and and it displays my I guess my response to pressure. Am I saying that right? Uh huh. And the uh -huh. third one is the perceived self, uh, the manner which. I perceive my behavior. So I guess my question, I got it back. And, and if I look at them, my influencing, my steady, my compliant are pretty much the same in all three. But the one that's different in all three is the, the dominant one. So on the public self, when the dominant one is below the zero line and the private one, the disc two, the dominant is above like at four. What does that, what does that tell about myself? In the way that you've described it, what that would imply, now this is going to be a real quick generalization, but it implies that when you're out in the public self, you blunt some of those D characteristics, being dominant, decisive, direct, because you don't think that's what's expected of you. You don't think that's what other people want you to do. But in a normal, natural self, those traits are higher. 
So the question becomes, are, are you in a situation where those traits about yourself are not embraced, are not welcomed? And if so, why? Mm. Because what we want ideally is for those graphs to be the same. And the second one being the more natural self, we want things to conform to that as much as possible. I see. And then the third one, with a D, again, the other three are the same, and the dominant's right there almost at the zero line. What, is the, what does that tell you? If they all are close to the, the center, we really want to go back and look at, are you in a period of transition? Because we want there to be dramatic ups and downs on that. That's where it's the most fun. The goal is not to be a little bit of everything. Nobody can do that. Sure. We want to really embrace the two or three that are most unique, most authentic about you. So if the more they conform to just being a flat line, the more we question, of, you know, why are you in a situation that maybe is blunting those things that should really be stellar for you? And if so, how can we find an environment that really brings to the forefront those two or three things that are strongest areas of competence for you? Well, I think it's a great tool, and I think it's, it's fun to read. I always like taking personality profiles. In fact, I sent a, a update to my email list. I gave them my kind of my rankings of personality profiles, and I, I wasn't aware of this one yet, and I took this one. This one is fun. I think it's a, a, a great uh, resource that you have on your website. Well, good. Well, thank you. That That is our hottest selling product. Is it? Bar none. It outsells my books, everything else that I've done, because we have, we have companies like State Farm Insurance that use that for screening and proper oh, placing yeah. people, companies like Nissan. So we have a lot of organizations that use that, and as well as lots of individuals like you and me. Well, it's, there's so much I could talk to you about, but then there's, in the remaining minutes, I just I want to make sure I give – uh, my listeners enough information on where they can find you. You're pretty easy to find. I got to tell you that you got a great website. Um, <laughs> but uh, tell tell us how we can find you. Well, we we kind of own the 48 day yeah. brand, and that's one of the things I love about coming up with a brand that is notable. So Dan Miller, there's a whole lot of Dan Millers out there, but 48 days we pretty well own that. So 48days.com is our primary site. A lot of resources, like you've already mentioned. You can access my newsletter, my podcast, and blog. 48days.net is a sister site. Now, they're linked together when you go to the community. But 48days.net is our networking site where we have a whole lot of people who are saying, I'm not content with just the common work life. I really do want to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable so that's the site. There's no fee to be to be a member there, but a whole lot of people are linking arms, sharing ideas and resources there to help unlock that next successful chapter in their lives. Well, Dan, I'm a big fan. Uh, it's so I know we've been working a while to get you on the show. You're so busy, and I know you had a few interviews today. So I'm so grateful and thankful that you took the time to come on our show today. Well, I'm, it's my pleasure, Richard. I do stay busy, and I like that. That's a, a, certainly an opportunity and an honor to be busy, but it's an honor to be on your show and hopefully to share some ideas and inspiration with your listeners. Yeah, Thanks Dan, for having me on. It was awesome, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime soon. All right. See ya. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. 
Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.